We're in part two of our series, Better For It. We've been talking about the stressful time in our world that we've gone through and maybe our own personal stress and how to not to waste the opportunity of growing in tough times. And we said this last week, if you were here, um, that it would be a shame to go through all this pain and not grow from it or not be better for it. So we've been asking the question in the series, how, how can we be better for it? How can we not waste an opportunity to growth and not just return to what was normal, but have a better normal, have a better life? Because you'd say this, and I'd say this, seven months ago, you might have enjoyed the normal, but things were not perfect. And we have an opportunity to grow from it, and we don't want to waste it because that would be a shame. And so last week, if you weren't here, we asked this question, what have we been doing that almost led to our undoing? Like what has been our natural tendencies that almost led to our undoing? But the better question we said is how can, next slide, thank you, what should I begin doing that I should have been doing all along? What should I begin doing now in light of what we've been through that I should have been doing all along? And we talked about the fact that maybe, you know, financially, you could start doing some things to prepare you for the next bump that's coming, whether that's in three months or six months or a year. But you know this, there's more trouble coming in our lives because we live in a world that's full of trouble. So financially, getting your house in order, saving some money, spending less, you know, earning more any way you can, can be a really positive thing. And then we talked about relations, relationally, that maybe you discovered through the stress of the pandemic and all the other stresses in your life, you had some cracks relationally in your marriage, relationships to your kids, and what could you do now to prepare you for the next thing that's coming relationally? And you know this, maybe what's coming next is a funeral, of someone you love and you want to wrap some things up or re reconnect in a way before that happens. That would be a powerful thing. And maybe for you personally, what could you do now that would put you in a better faith place when struggles come and strife comes in the future, because for a lot of us, we have found that we can stand on our faith in tough times. And if you're here and you're like, I don't have any faith, maybe that's just a great step for you that you're with us this morning. So that's where we started last week. And today I want to go to a totally different direction. We're going to dive in just a little bit deeper because you know this, we don't want to just wish those things would happen. We actually want to see them happen. So today what I want to talk to you about is your superpower. And you may have walked in and not realizing you have a superpower, but you actually have a superpower. And here's your superpower and mine. It's an innate ability that empowers you to be better for anything that comes or came your way. And you know, there's some stuff coming your way, and we don't have control over what life throws at us, do we? Things just happened. Six months ago, if you told me we'd have been under quarantine, I would have said, you're crazy. If I'd have told you we were have to talk about mass at the beginning of our service this morning, I would say, no, we don't. That's never going to happen. And yet it comes, and it happened, right? Some of you quarantine hit, and you're an introvert. And it was the best thing that ever happened in your life. You got to stay at home and not talk to anybody, right? Or it solved the problem in the next cubicle over who doesn't wear his deodorant and now you don't have to work next to him and you're so thankful but for some of you you're an extrovert and being at home all that time drove you crazy I know we were talking about this with our kids when we were going through the whole you know quarantine toilet paper thing that there was actually a day that we threw toilet paper into trees into people's houses and we ran away in the middle of that and then there was none and then, and then if you would have told your mama or your grandmama, for some of you, if you're like me, hey, grandmama, I, I'm missing church for three or four months straight, your grandma would have said, you're going to hell and there's no justification for that. And you would say, no, the pastor told me not to come. Literally. What, that, who would have thought? That just blows our minds and all the other things that are going on. 
See, this is what we know. We didn't choose. We didn't choose the pandemic and everything else. Like an election year that feels like it's going to blow up, and earthquakes, and wildfires, and hurricanes, right? And now the Supreme Court justice thing, and who knows what the next thing's going to be that's going to cause stress and racial tensions in our world. That just all feels heavy, and it feels like, oh man, there's so much pressure. We didn't choose that. It chose us. And you can't stop that from happening. But the cool thing is, it left us with some choices. Some choices to make. And it left us with the choice to imply or use your superpower. And you have a superpower. You may not know this. The superpower we're going to talk about today, this is such a big deal. Don't miss what I'm about to say. Has the potential to turn bad things into good things, no matter how bad they are. It has the potential to turn wrong things into right things, and it has the potential to take evil intent by evil people and turn it around. And I love this. If you lose sight of your superpower, you have the potential to turn yourself into a victim as opposed to a hero in your own story. And you know this, you don't want to be a victim in your own story. And we don't need more victims in our world. We need people that decide, I'm going to be a hero and rise above so I want to tell you about what your superpower is. Your superpower is your respondability. It's your respondability. It's your ability to respond versus react. Because you know this, when you react, and a lot of us had reactionary models modeled for us. Maybe your dad just reacted over everything, or your mom did, or maybe that's your deal. When we just react to things, we tend to blow things up. So when I was 29 years old, I got the chance to be a senior pastor, not a lead pastor, but a senior pastor, you know, in old school church world. And I was 29. I was way too young to be a senior pastor. So it's my first day of work. I show up really early, like six or seven in the morning, because I want to get a jump on the day. And I had heard in this church that I became a senior pastor, there was one individual that liked to kind of be a little bit of a bully. He liked to kind of cause strife. And most of it was around how the building was taken care of. It was all about the building. The building had to be perfect, and it was a problem. And I decided I was going to do something about it. So on the first day of my first day at work, being a senior pastor at this little church, I hear the front doors open, it's probably 7.30, and this individual came in, and he was angry, and he was loud. I could hear his voice in the sanctuary, and literally, this is what I said, sitting at my desk, oh, hell no. That's what I said, literally, oh, hell no. And I, you know when you stand up in a chair with wheels, I stood up so hard, it slammed against the wall, and I walked out of my office into the sanctuary, and I had made up my mind, I'm going to pick a fight today. And I went in with guns blazing. You know, red face, smoke coming out of my ear, and I'm like, I'm taking care of this now. And you know what I did? I took care of it. Problem went away. And so did the gentleman. And so did some of my credibility. I was 29 years old, speaking to a person that was 30 plus years older than me, and I was reacting to a situation versus responding in a thoughtful, direct way and handling a problem. And it did not go well, and I regret it. To this day. Now, unfortunately, I love to tell you that that's the only time I respond that way, but that comes really natural. I'm probably not going to throw it out on Facebook. I'm probably not going to tell five people I'm going to go to someone and I'm going to let them have it, but I have regrets over that personally and in my profession and as a human being. But when you can respond, I'm telling you, it changes the game. When you just react, you forfeit your future in some areas and your legacy and your destiny and what's coming next, but the right response. This is huge. This is why we're talking about this. A right response has the potential to take pain and suffering and redeem it. 
And we've got to figure out how do we redeem some of the pain and suffering we're going in as a culture and personally. Your superpower is why you can be better for it. Regardless of your circumstances, you can be better for it. And this is a huge promise, but we see this throughout history, especially when it comes to faith. And this is what we know, that when it comes to our superpower, the response that has the potential to reverse the natural course of things isn't natural. In other words, this idea of leveraging our respondability is not intuitive. It doesn't just happen. It takes intentionality and a whole lot of help from our Heavenly Father. And here's what you also need to know, that men and women that came before us in our faith, especially in the first century, they faced unimaginable circumstances and they responded well. It's why we have Christianity today. That at the epicenter of our faith is Jesus, who when he was arrested, he did not resist. That when he was taken to the cross, he did not defend himself. The one person in all of humanity that could have saved himself and no one could have stopped him from saving himself did not save himself, but he saved you, and he saved me for you because he responded in a way that would change the world. And so here's what I want you to know as we get into today's message. Never underestimate the power of a measured, faith-filled response. And in the next two weeks, we're going to talk about a biblical hero and look at 30 years of his life, a span of his life where he was in unimaginable circumstances where injustice just happened over and over, but his response was measured and it was healthy and it changed the course of his life, his family's life, and the whole world. So we're going to begin at the end of the story. We're going to go through the whole story. We're going to begin at the end. And our hero in this story, you'll recognize him as we talk in just a second. Our hero said this at the end of the story. He said, you intended to harm me And the you in this story are the power brokers. The people that had all the authority, and they leveraged all their authority against the hero in their story. And I'm telling you, as we dig in, you're going to see evil intent over evil intent against this individual. And they created circumstances that were overwhelming. And these are the circumstances that have the ability to turn innocent people into guilty. And you've seen this, right? You've seen an innocent person hurt, damaged, rejected, neglected, and then they become guilty in their own way because they're bitter. And they decide, I'm going to do what was done to me, and I'm going to get revenge. What we read in the story has the potential to turn in a victim into a perpetrator. I was a victim of this circumstance, of a family circumstance, of a cultural job circumstance, but now ah, I've had enough of that. I'm going to be the perpetrator against someone else. But with this superpower, you can avoid that. He says this, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And through this man's life, we're going to find out that there was a catalytic, and just means there was a response that pushed something forward, a catalytic response to unexpected, unimaginable trials and injustices that would change everything. And here's what's so cool about the story. As he responded well in the moment, nothing changed. Because you felt that, right? You respond well in the moment, nothing changes. And he did it over and over. But at the end of his life, everything changed for him. And we're going to talk about him 4,000 years later. So let's start with this. 2,000 years before Jesus showed up on the planet, um, Abraham was approached by God. God decided to dip down in the world's mess, and he approaches Abraham. And he says, Abraham, I want you to leave everything you have, and I want you to go and start a family. And your family is going to change the world. It's going to bless the world. And after a lot of incredible stories, you should read it, Isaac was born. 
Abraham's son. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And they became the 12 tribes of Israel. And then Israel became a great nation that God would bring Jesus to the world through. But then part of those 12 sons was a very, very, very special son who's the hero in our story today. And his name was Joseph. You may know him as a Joseph, you know, Joseph in the multicolored dream coat or Donny Osmond. It depends on how old you are in this place. But in this whole deal, there's a, there's a series of catalytic responses by Joseph. And here's the backstory: Joseph was not well-liked by his 10 older brothers because his father liked Joseph more than the other 10, which is not fair, but just the way it was. And he gave Joseph more stuff than his brothers and got better treatment. And then sometimes Joseph would report on his brothers what they weren't doing right to his father. And so one day, the 10 brothers just decided, we've had enough of Joseph. We are getting rid of him. And they see him coming over the hill when they're tending sheep. And they decide, when he gets here, we're going to sabotage him. They grab him, they club him, they strip him of his clothes, they throw him down into a dry cistern. And they stand there and they think, listen, do we kill him immediately or do we let him just stay down there and die of natural causes? But we're going to kill him, we're going to kill him. Until one of Joseph's brothers speaks up and he says, and Judah said, who was an older brother, but not the oldest, this is spokesman for the whole brother organization. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? In other words, how can we profit from this? How can we get something out of this? So they said this, come. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites or slave traders and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. I mean, there's just this little tiny glimpse of mercy. Let's sell him to the slave traders. He's our brother, our own flesh and blood. Now, I know some of you have intense family situations that are not real copacetic. You don't get along really well. But I'll bet you've never had your older brother stand over you while you're in a pit, butt naked, and there are two big decisions. Do we sell him or do we kill him? Do we sell him or do we kill him? That's the decision that is ahead of Joseph. And they decide to sell him. And think about this. Not only are they selling Joseph off, now they got to go back to his father and lie to their own dad and say an animal killed him. So now we've sold our brother and we've lied to our father and broke our father's heart. We've sold the son you love, but it's a lie. He, he's not, he's sold, he's not actually dead. And the story continues. You can read the entirety when you get home today if you want. It says, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, you may have heard that name before if you grew up in Sunday school. An Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him. I mean, can you imagine now he's being bought from the Ishmaelites or slave traders who had taken him there. Now, this is where your story and Joseph's story may feel like it's intersecting just a little bit. Because now this poor young man, I mean, no one is looking for him. And no one is looking out for him. And maybe you came to church today because you feel just that. Listen, I'm in a place in life where no one's looking for me. No one's paying attention to me. I mean, I got a husband and kids or whatever, but no one's even paying attention to me. And certainly I feel like no one's looking out for me. I'm all by myself. And if you feel that way, can you imagine how this young man felt? Now he's been sold into slavery to an Egyptian? But this is what we're told in the middle of this, and this is where it's so confusing, that the Lord was with Joseph, to which some of us will go, what? Wait a minute, what? That can't be possible. And for some of us, me included, this is where our version of faith can get upside down. For you, maybe, this is why you left church a long time ago. 
because you saw suffering in our world. You saw suffering in your family. Maybe you saw suffering in your own mental or health life. And you couldn't reconcile that a good God was with you and you were suffering or the world was suffering. And you just went, listen, I'm out. But we're told in this story that Joseph was suffering incredibly and there was more to come and God was with him because we think this, when God is with you, things work out for you. And we don't just think like this. Sometimes we're taught this by people like me on a stage that God's with you, everything's going to be good. God's with you, everything's going to be prosperous all the time, no matter what. And if you were raised in a church like that, I just need you to know that is not what Christianity was ever founded on. In fact, that is not the God of the New Testament and obviously not the God of the Old Testament. The stories of the people that came before us faced incredible injustices, pain and suffering, yet believed that God was with them right smack in the middle of it, getting them through. And the reason they believe that, the reason we believe that, maybe you don't know this, and we'll talk more about this in the future, is that God did not wipe all the pain and suffering and sin out of the world because if he did, he'd have to wipe me out of the world. And as he's trying to redeem the world to him, pain and suffering still is around because I'm still around. It's a huge idea. Back to Joseph for just a minute. It says the Lord was with him, and Joseph so that he prospered. Now, you might say, oh, there it is. God's with him, he prospers. Don't hold on to this too long, and don't hold on to this too tightly because the story is about ready to go sideways. We're told when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. Now, this is such a cool side note. Here's this guy, he's been a, traded as a slave person. Now he's owned by other people. But he decides, listen, I'm a slave now but I'm going to live as if God's with me. And I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to think, all right, God, we're in this together and I'm going to show up and I'm going to give him everything I have. I'm going to give Potiphar, my owner, everything I have, which is contrary to the way that I naturally think because when I feel like I'm being disregarded or there's an injustice in my life, I just want to go, hey, you're on your own. I hope things just fall apart, but not Joseph. He decided, listen, I'm going to trust God in the middle of this and I'm going to show up as if God is with me. And everything Joseph touched turned to gold. He became an incredible leader in the household, administrator, manager. This is what we're told because of this attitude that he had. That Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes, and he became an attendant. He got put in charge of everything. And again, you have to recognize that nothing was worse in that culture than being a free man and then becoming a slave. Because when you're free, you know what it's like to be free and have autonomy and make your own decisions. And then to lose all of that, not just your money, but your actual freedom, it was much easier to be born a slave because you just didn't know any better. But here was a man that was free and then lost it all. I mean, can you imagine him trying to process through this? Nothing good could come out of this. There is no redemption. There's no happy ending. But he found favor with Potiphar. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. That's pretty cool. But here's the gotcha. The Lord, as in God was responsible for this, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Now, shouldn't it say that the Lord blessed the household of Joseph? Nope. He blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. And to, to which you might say, and I might say, God, what are you doing? That's not justice. 
that's not fair. And, fair. and every time in my life I start to go down the road of that's not fair, man, I realize I'm probably going down a backwards road because I can find unfairness all over me. But here, it's wrong. It's not fair. You bless the wrong guy. But Joseph, again, he responds so well. He responds as if God is with him. Look what we're told. Joseph responded as if God were with him when it looked as if God had abandoned him. It's just not normal. And here's what's cool about that. Didn't actually say that in the scripture. We put that on the screen. Here's what's cool about that. It's not like Joseph could open up a Bible in his day and go, let me read about this. Because there was no Bible. It had not been written yet. There were no angels that showed up and sang to him. All he had were the stories of his great-grandfather Abraham and Isaac and his daddy Jacob, who looked at him and said, listen, you can trust God. You can trust that God's with you. God is faithful. Hang on, hang on, and live as if he is with you all the time. That was the base of operation for this young man. Here's a question that you can't help but ask out of this. How would someone in your circumstances... Respond if they were confident God was with them. Now, just so you know, I'm not asking you to do anything with this today. I just want you to ask the question, how would someone in your, in your circumstances respond as if God was with them? Maybe in all of your life, a circumstance that just is overwhelming every part of your life, or maybe just a specific circumstance, you know, a job, a relationship, your money. You see, this is where God invites us with his strength and his help to exercise our superpower. And in the middle of this, you can never underestimate the power of a measured response. And the truth is, this is where most of us, me included, we don't respond, we react. We lash out. We make decisions without thinking them through. We throw stuff out there for the world to see without weighing and walking through it. This is where the story gets super ridiculous and super complicated. Look what we're told. Joseph was a well-built and handsome. I mean, you just know trouble's coming when you read that, right? He was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, just remember, he's lonely, he's a young man, and he is good-looking. This is where the soundtrack changes in his life. And this is not a request, Remember, Joseph's a slave, and his master and his wife, they own him. And so when she says, come to bed, it's not a request, it's an order. And there's a no-win situation, because if he rejects her, she could have him killed. But if he goes to bed with her, Potiphar could find out, and he could have Joseph killed. There's a no-win situation. It's just a question of what's the right thing to do. And this is where, for all of us, it feels like trusting God can be a waste. When you run into these no-win scenarios, at least it feels that way, you say, I probably say, why care and why try? Why care and why try? Why care what God thinks? Why care what's right and wrong? Why try to go down you know, a path of righteousness or goodness or something that's going to be beneficial? Because there's no win anyway. I can't see any way out. There's no potential for a happy ending. But Joseph, I'm telling you, this kid's amazing. He deploys his superpower. Look at the response when she invites him into bed in a no-win situation. He refused. I'm not doing that. Yeah, but you're not going to win either way. Why don't you just go have some fun before you get in real trouble? No, I'm not doing that. He says, with me, in charge, he told her, my master, Potiphar, does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has, is entrusted to my care, and he shift gears. No one is greater in this house than I am. I, I've got somewhere. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. 
You're off limits. He told me that because you are his wife. And again, maybe that makes simple sense to us. But 4,000 years ago, I mean, it was game on. Do whatever you want. Here's the question. Who does that? Who responds like that? Who is able to step outside their extenuating circumstances and go, no, I'm going to have a measured response to make the right decision because i got to live with me. And look what he says next. How can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? <laughs> Joseph, God let you into this situation. He's supposed to be with you, and look where you are. Just go do it. Just go do whatever you want now. I know it looks pretty rough right now. I know it would be really easy just to sin and do whatever I want. I'm going to obey God because somehow I still trust he's with me. Don't forget his resume. This is his resume up to this point. Joseph, Jacob's son. That's, that's because he's Jacob's son. We put that just up there so you'd have some identification. He was kidnapped. Remember the cistern? Lied about. Told, his dad was told he was dead. He was sold twice. Now he's in an incredible tough situation. And he's deciding to have a faithful response that's not going to really help him in the moment at the end of this. Well, he tells her no, and Potiphar's wife, she's relentless. She just keeps chasing and chasing and chasing. But he, he rejects her so much she's offended, and then she must have felt some kind of shame with her rejection, and she accuses him of rape. Well, of course, Potiphar finds out from his wife. Of course, he has to do the only thing a husband can do in this situation. It's not even his fault in this moment. Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him in prison. Of course he did. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. And listen, if you're a prisoner of the king, no one can treat you worse and has the ability to hurt you than a king does. He was in charge of everything. And if you think about it, Joseph paid for a crime he avoided because he avoided it. It's the most crazy story in the whole world. He's paying for a crime that he avoided because he avoided it. Now, Joseph Jacobson, his resume is extended, kidnapped once, sold twice, framed in prison, along with all the other side pain he's gone through. This is where the idea of, hey, when God's with people, bad things can't happen. This might be encouraging to you to know that good things or bad things have happened to good people for a very long time, and yet they held on to God, and they held on to Jesus, and they didn't let go. Now, next week, we're going to pick up the rest of the story, but just to leave you encouraged, through these things, God was weaving a story whoo, that you got to come back and hear the end of, because he was weaving a story of redemption. A story that's so amazing, like one of the greatest stories ever told that we're literally still talking about it. 4,000 years later. But it brings us, you know, to where we are today. And the question for you, the question for me is, how would someone in my circumstance respond? Now, here's the challenge. You know how someone in the circumstance you're in might respond because you saw it modeled for you. You saw your father maybe lose his mind because of something he went through. Or your mom do, did something that would hurt you for the rest of your life because of something she went through, or a boss, or a church, or a friend. Maybe it was you. I mean, your mode of operation is to go to this place. And so you kind of know, this is how I would respond. Just in a normal circumstance, it's predictable. Flip on the, you know, social media. You can see how people respond to stuff all the time. Hey, here's a question. How would you respond to someone that differed from you in a political or a racial or a worldly you know, cultural thing? And just kind of, you see it everywhere. 
But the bigger question is this. How would someone in my circumstance respond if they were confident? And it's hard to be confident in this. But confident that God was with them, like Joseph. Joseph somehow woke up every morning and decided, all right, my, my first decision today, before I put on my slave clothes and I say yes, sir, to someone I shouldn't have to say yes, sir, to, and whatever happens next, my first decision today, I'm going to decide to be confident in who God is. Even when I'm questioning and not sure and I'm scared and I'm hurt, I'm going to put my confidence that God is with me. It was an invitation for him to employ his superpower. And what I love about this, it allowed Joseph in this story to become better, not bitter. And painful, hard circumstances always have the potential to make us bitter. And you know who suffers when we're bitter? Everybody around us. But even more than that, you and I have the potential to suffer and hurt ourselves. Have you ever been around a bitter person that just seems like they're at angst with stuff? And maybe not with everything, but towards a person or towards a circumstance. And you mentioned it just pops out. Joseph was like, I'm not going to be bitter. I'm not going to turn into a victim here. I'm not going to be the perpetrator. I'm not going to let this turn my life into something ugly and a mess. I'm going to trust that God is with me, and I'm going to hang on, because in the end, I'm trusting there's something better. Don't underestimate the power of a faith-filled response. And just to hone this in just a little bit, how would someone in your circumstance, forget about mine, forget about Joseph, but just what you're going through, respond if they were confident God was with them? Because there's more to the story and your story that meets the eye. There's more that God can do and get us through. And you have a superpower. And you have a superpower. And here's the deal. When we look back over our lives and we made those decisions, we realize God really was with us. But if I can keep from undermining my life and being bitter and hostile and hurting other people, my life will be in such a better, better place and I can be better for it. And maybe you're here because you are in the middle of some kind of mess. Maybe you're in a mess that nobody even knows about. Maybe you're in a mess and you're sitting by yourself because your spouse didn't come and this weekend just didn't go well. Maybe you're in a mess because you're just hurting inside. There's a thousand different messes, not to mention the mess in our world. Never underestimate the power of a measured response because your Savior and my Savior Jesus, he looked into this world and he didn't react like we would react. We just killed everybody, right? His reaction was, I'm going to go save them and I'm going to go redeem them and I'm going to give them life. What do it look like in your circumstances to respond as if God was really with you and he loved you and he cared about you? I'd love for you to ask yourself that question this week. We're about to sing this song about God being able to take a grave and turn it into a garden. And talking about there's nothing better than you, God, especially when you're in our lives. And I would love, as we sing through this song, and you reflect on what we've talked about and Joseph's story, you could find that place and go, you know what, God, I'm not even sure how this works with you, but I'm going to start putting confidence in you today. And as the song washes over you and washes you right out the doors, you would take that and you would be better and not bitter. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this story that happened 4,000 years ago, and we actually get to read today about this amazing young man who was at the center of your will, even though at times it didn't seem like he was. 
Help us to learn about measured responses. Forgive us for our reactions that are hostile and unkind and hurtful at times. As Jesus followers, I pray that we would just model what you brought to this world, Jesus, when you measured everything for our good to save us. For everybody in the room that's just suffering, hurting, and pain right now, Lord, I don't even know what it is, but I pray that they would meet you right now. And in this song and in this day today, find hope in your love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.